The General Services Administration is in the midst of a major overhaul of its schedules program, combining the 24 multiple award schedules into just one by the end of 2020. Last week, GSA revealed some new details about the next steps in the process, including some important dates. Larry Allen is president of Allen Federal Business Partners. He talked with me about some of the key takeaways and what contractors need to be watching for in the coming months. Jared, the biggest thing I think contractors need to know is that they are going to see some pretty significant changes to their scheduled contracts starting either in August or in January, depending on whether you want to get a new contract for GSA or you want to renew uh, an existing contract. The terms and conditions are going to be changed so that they are uh, much more uniform than they have been before. GSA estimates right now that they have between 80 to 85 percent uniformity. They're shooting for something well into the 90s. So we should expect to see mass modifications come out uh, in the summer or the first thing in uh, calendar year 2020 to make those changes. And I recommend that everybody read those carefully before they sign on the bottom line. And in the meantime, it sounds like there's also going to be a notice and comment process for the draft recommendations. What's kind of the range of possibilities for how widely those could diverge from what people are used to? I think, Jared, that how widely they diverge depends on what type of a contractor you are. The more you negotiated specialized terms and conditions, the more you negotiated for things that were alternatives to standard FAR language, uh, the more closely you're going to want to read what GSA is saying. And you're right, GSA estimates that they're going to put out for comment the regulations in, in June. So that's coming up right around the corner. And industry will have an opportunity to, to read and comment. My experience is that industry may read, but they don't always comment. But I think this is a time when they should do both. Uh, because uh, if you have put uh, something together for your company that uh, differs from the norm, or if you have uh, a longer term contract that was negotiated originally over 15 years ago, you can expect to see some things that look a little different from what you're currently used to. What's the bottom line for the consolidation? Net net positive, net negative, or to be determined still? Well, I think that it's going to be a net positive. I really do. I think that uh, this is the second phase. The third phase, which is not yet timed on the horizon, would be the actual consolidation of companies that have more than one schedule contract. And uh, that will be that will come about probably in 2021. In 2020, uh, we're going to see, as I said, the consolidation of the terms and conditions. I think that that's going to make the program easier to manage overall. I think it's going to lower overhead. Uh, it's going to give contractors a clearer sense of what GSA is requiring of them. So uh, those are all good things. But like anything, the devil's in the details, and you better make sure you understand what the details say. All right, Larry, you're also writing about the new OMB memo that came out a couple weeks ago that that seems to be trying to push agencies more toward the use of best-in-class contracts. I think it's fair to say we don't quite know exactly how much business will get pushed toward those new contracts, but I know you have some concerns there about the effect on the overall supply base serving the federal government. Jared, that's absolutely right. I think that best-in-class contracting, which is the government's prerogative, is uh, something that when it's taken to its logical, not even extreme, but logical uh, uh, midpoint, will result in the consolidation of the supplier base 
look, anytime you're going to be consolidating the number of contracts, you are without a doubt going to be consolidating the number of contractors. Just look at the federal IT market where today 50% of all federal business is done through standing indefinite delivery indefinite quantity contracts. If you start to shrink the number of those contracts, which is exactly what best in class contracting has at its core, you are by definition going to shrink the number of contractors. And that's something that OMB is going to have to be transparent, to use a phrase, uh, Jared, with, uh, and that they're going to have to be able to tell the story and why they think that's a good idea, not just to the supplier base, but to the oversight committees in Congress, especially the ones that uh, care about small business participation in the government market. So we're going to have to look pretty closely at that. But that's really just one part of the category management initiative memo. As you say, the intent is to drive things to contracts that have been designated best in class. But the other question is really what constitutes best in class contracting? Unfortunately, OMB had an opportunity in this memo to better define and more broadly define what constitutes best in class, but they didn't. They took a pass on it. So you have something that I think is a very subjective definition of what constitutes best in class. It's a big government, Jared, and what might be best in class from agency to agency, or really with even within agencies, uh, is going to change uh, as it will from situation to situation. Larry Allen is president of Allen Federal Business Partners. We'll post a link to his Week Ahead blog at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. When you think about something that brings out the best in us, it usually involves helping someone else. By donating plasma at a Griffles Center, you can help save millions of lives and show your good side to the world. You'll join thousands of people who donate safely each week, so patients get the plasma-derived medicines they rely on. And you'll be rewarded up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com.